Hi, uh, welcome to Ordinary People. Um, it's always fun to record these, but uh, tonight's going to be extra fun because we've not just got one guest, we've got three guests. Um, of course, the show isn't complete without Andrew and Neil. Hi. Um, hi, Paul. Hi. Uh, Andrew has conveniently titled this live recording COVID-19, The Truth. <laughs> um, all I can say is we'll, we'll do our best. <laughs> Uh, so we've invited a few friends who are a lot more knowledgeable about this area than we are. Um, so big thanks to Lindsay, Joe and Sunil. So guys, could you introduce yourselves just a bit about who you are and what you do, please? Lindsay, do you want to go first? Yeah, um, so I'm Lindsay Lucas. I'm the local practice nurse in Mitchell Health Centre. And I'm married to Reuben. I have three kids here, Faith, Rosie and Jethro. So I'm busy working mum, like a whole lot of the guys hopefully watching. Joe? Um, I'm uh, Joe, or Joanne, and I get called Joe by most people. Um, I'm married to Neville, and we have three... Oh, and we have three... I don't know what that was. We have three children. Um, Amelia is eight. Nearly eight. Ethan is four and a half and Aaron has just turned three. Um, I'm in the same role as Lindsay in that I'm the practice nurse in Market Hill Health Centre. Um, and then since more or less last year, my background was ICU. So from this time last year, then I've been doing extra shifts in the intensive care unit in Craig Avon. Thank you very much. So Neil, last but not uh, least. Hi all. Uh, I'm Sunil. So... I have, uh, I'm here to work for Almac as a uh, technical leader. So I have a PhD in molecular microbiology in, from University of Hyderabad in India. Uh, I've been studying microorganisms all my life and I have a master's degree in biochemistry. So I know most of the things, how they work biologically. And with respect to viruses, yes, I have worked on a few viruses, but not, uh, not the ones that infect humans anyway, but uh, predominantly, they have a similar kind of a structure and function, but they work on, uh, they, they are called bacteriophages and they work on, they infect bacteria. So, yeah, a little bit of uh, there. So, I have, I've been married since five years. I have a six months or uh, six month old daughter now. And I'm here in Krigavan working for Almac, as I said before. So I have I, I'll take up any questions and if anything as it goes. Thanks, Thanks Paul. Um, oh, where are you from, Sonny? Oh, I'm, I'm from I'm from uh, India. So I'm from uh, South South India, basically. I'm from a town called Mysore, uh, just 140. I mean, 100 miles away from Mysore, uh, from Bangalore. So, but I studied uh, for uh, 10 to 15 years in Hyderabad. So. I did my PhD and I worked for a pharmaceutical company there and then relocated to Northern Ireland. Excellent. So, Sonny, uh, we're going to be asking a few kind of dumb questions, really, because that's real. <laughs> we don't know very much. So we're, put, we're going to put you on the spot first, if that's OK. Um, yes, please. So really simple one. A simple question, probably a difficult answer. Maybe. What is a virus? Well, uh... Well, it, it, uh, from since the inception of time, so people have been trying to classify the forms of life. Uh, so uh, what people mostly say 
in order for a organism to qualify as being alive is it has to uh, respire that is it has to consume oxygen or any other uh, things where it can uh, convert that into a form of energy by itself well it has to reproduce so virus certainly qualifies that it it does reproduce and uh, of course it has to have all the genetic information and uh, a whole cellular structure so which the virus has but it but uh, there is a main uh, difference among them as well so if it doesn't respire and reproduce on its own should you call that a living organism so that has that question has always evaded uh, since a long time so there are two different schools some say yes viruses are alive yes they are alive and some say no they are just uh, a form of life a very primitive form of life yes they are a very primitive form of life so there's no right answer for this but uh, <clears throat> well according to us biologists does it carry a genetic information yes it does can it reproduce yes it can can it survive yes it can so we call it more of uh, more of a living entity hmm. um so this coronavirus that we've been all inflicted with at the moment yes. uh, some just by um the situation we're in with the lockdown and stuff and others have been affected by it directly but what is it not just like the flu virus or what it, what makes it different um well uh it is uh, i mean uh, we have bouts of flu coming over from time to time it doesn't take the same toll as any other flu so we have seen a lot of respiratory viruses uh, before as well so i mean let's let let's uh, let's take uh, sars or mers so all i mean even a rhinovirus all these are typically the common influenza virus all these typically are the common viruses that float around so uh, so from being there from time to time they start to adapt over to the environment that they have been in so most of these have a carrier host as well so the more uh, uh, predominantly that these viruses stay among ourselves the more advanced they get the more sophisticated they get the more prepared they are when they come around next time so these the coronavirus is very similar to the mers and the sars uh, family of viruses so they they I mean they they have the quick adaptable adaptability of this virus and the ability of this to infect such a mass is very i mean very fast so that's why i think whatever the precautions that we are taking now is i i would say they are not sufficient they are, they are at least you know keeping us uh, safe from uh, <clears throat> from the infect I mean, from us uh, catching on the infection and then transmitting along so if we are just trying to you know break the chain that's what most of uh, the uh, advertisements have have been advocating washing your hands and then wearing a face mask all these certainly do help in a in a larger sense so if you see that i mean the studies have shown that the flu cases have gone down as well so that is all because of the uh, the awareness of public to stay away from uh stay away from each other and we know that now the vulnerable group and we have how we have to protect them 
and how we have to stay safe among uh, ourselves and how we how uh, for a common good we all can contribute to i mean stay aware of the situation and maybe break the chain and then again of course the new vaccination attempts that have come in which are uh, which have been stepped up uh, very rapidly to uh, help the masses so all these have uh, certainly a big, huge role to play so again the yeah. uh, very good um i'm going to ask you one more question sonny and then i'm going to add over to neil um please so with this covid-19 i suppose with most viruses the start from somewhere as in they've popped up from somewhere yeah um what do you understand about that and what is the kind of what do we look out for to well uh well if you see the uh, most of the viruses uh, have a uh, we say that we have the originator uh, species or from where they might have originated so they are they, in many historically if you see there are many cases <clears throat> where rodents and of course uh, bats and many other organisms serving as a reservoir host like uh, for rabies it's all, it's mostly from dogs and bats and few other organisms which serve as a reservoir host so uh, when these viruses stay dormant in a reservoir host that is they don't really cause an uh, elicit a complete sort of an infection onto the uh, the carrier host uh, the reservoir host that it has been but they always serve as a platform where they start uh, developing themselves in order uh, they they start developing themselves they mutate they organize themselves much better so they they're just a, br- a breeding ground for them and then once with the current human population and current human uh, healthcare conditions and ca- current zoonotic affiliations that we have so there there are uh, there are uh, umpteen number of uh, uh, factors which they can contribute to transmit amongst uh, the closer relating species that is us and then from there on uh, <clears throat> it just starts as uh, it usually starts as one case where then you see that it has then propagated itself to a, a a few more groups in the community and then so far it spreads you see it's more of a ripple effect that you see uh, <clears throat> so it it just, then there is no uh, way of halting the transmission altogether so uh, it just keeps on uh, it just keeps on going and then keeps on taking whatever it wants and then at the end there is always a case where you have you have to prepare yourself uh where you can uh, you, you you mean i mean uh from vaccination or how you can halt this transmission from uh going to the next stage so now uh so like most of the flu viruses and most of uh, rhinoviruses which which uh, occur in, uh, in a isolated cases and then keeps coming back so they always uh, are endemic to a region and then keep, they keep coming back and again uh, so it gets transmitted again mm. so we have seen this in many number of viral cases as well so we it's nothing new that uh, sars i mean uh, sars covid 19 is something which came out of the blue it has always stayed here in in nook and corners and then it found the right time where it has just a new variant has evolved which can infect much better 
which can stay with us for a longer time, which can transmit better and then infect the masses. In. And since the world now has become more, uh, you know, travel friendly as well, people come and go. So <clears throat> uh, to different, then it starts from one city that becomes the epicenter. From there, you have more people going around and then it starts to spread across and then it has the whole planet now covered. <clears throat> so this was never new because you have seen, uh, we, I mean, historically we have seen the plague and many other uh, viruses that were uh, as early as 1000 BC, which were found in uh, some part of Kazakhstan or some part of uh, a Manchurian region, which was only endemic to that region, which would have only consumed uh, people and the masses there and since uh, and it would have never transmitted. So now uh, you, you, we all have read the uh, stories where uh, a ship comes in from a port from China to Europe or from China to America and you see a lots of losses of life and the plague being traveling across, consuming a lot of human uh, human population, reducing the population to uh, by 50 to 60% or 70% or even 80% effectively in lots of regions. So, uh, so the, uh, the viral infection or the bacterial infections are nothing mm -hmm. new. They've always stayed, always stayed. But right, what, so makes, yeah, what makes COVID yeah. more edgy is that the transmission rates are higher. Mm. The infection manifests much more better. And uh, of course, the loss of life is, uh, is quite huge as well. We'll come back to you towards the end then, Sonny. I uh, appreciate yeah. that. So, so helpful. Thank you. Thank you, Sonny and Paul. Um, it's uh, it's my joy to, to uh, be able to have a bit of a chat here with um, two of Rich Hill's finest, um, who have we've heard a wee bit about the science, but where it all comes from. Um, but Lindsay and, and Joanne have uh, have been right at the heart of um, of responding to the consequences of this outbreak. And um, I'm so really grateful. I'm really grateful that they're, they're on this call with me, but more so than that, I'm really grateful for all that they've done, all that they've been up involved in right in the front lines for the last year or more. Um, so girls, I'll, uh, I'll, we'll, just go, we'll just go back and forth. We'll see how this goes. Um, but as I said, thank you for your time. And, and uh, Lindsay, maybe I'll, maybe I'll start with you. Um, you had done uh, what I found, I know you did it for the kids at the school, but you've done a video for the kids in, the, in our local primary school, um, just helping them just navigate through some questions around the vaccine and what it is and what it does. And so could I ask that question to you for us adults tonight? Like, just tell us a wee bit well, more about the vaccine and what it does and well, following on from Sonny, I feel like I can't really answer that question <laughs> without looking like a three-year-old. So, um, yeah, even just listening to Sonny, it makes me realise just how important the vaccine is. Uh, yeah, we're, absolutely. as Joanne know, we're so used to doing the flu vaccine as well, and you do it without thinking, and you do hundreds of them without thinking on a week-to-week -week basis over winter, but... Uh, yeah, the virus, or I suppose the vaccine, the simplest way we could put it to the kids in the video was 
that the vaccine just mimics COVID, the real, the real virus. Um, so it just looks like it. And as Dr. Minari had said to the kids, your body recognizes this as being odd and strange. Mm-hmm. And so therefore wants, wants to send little soldier cells to fight that. So that if you do become infected with real COVID, your body already recognizes it as being strange and already has the soldiers ready and prepared to, to fight that war. So I think that that is a simple explanation for the kids, but I think it's very simple for adults as well. It's, it's very mm-hmm. difficult to, to tell anybody with a medical background or without a medical background exactly what a vaccine does, but that's it in a nutshell. Great. Um, Joe, I know you've been right in the, I know you've been in the front line where you've general practice, um, but we're going to veer those questions toward Lin- Lindsay. If you just give us a wee bit of an overview of what it's been like for you in the hospital. Yeah. Um, so, as I said in the introduction, I've been working in, I worked in ICU. My background was ICU and worked there for about 12 years and then left there four years ago to go to a practice nurse post in Market Hill. So when this all started off last, about this time last year, um, they really needed the help basically from nurses who had IC experience. So I thought I'd go and help the best way I could. Um, to say that it was nothing like I've ever experienced in nursing before is an understatement. Mm-hmm. Um, you do see it, on, you see it on the TV. The TV does portray it, but to be there in, in real life was just something else. Um, you know, the, the number of patients it was so much more than we had ever seen before. Um, and this is me saying this. I was only there the odd time. I was only there maybe at the most three shifts a week. There's girls there doing it day in, day out, full-time hours, night duty, the whole works. And I have to honour them in the middle of all this as well. Yeah, do you know good. what I mean? Yeah. Um, but so going in and just nursing the number of patients that there actually were sick patients working in full red PPE. That is probably, that was probably one of the biggest challenging things, especially at the very beginning when you weren't used to it. So wearing a really tight face mask, I came out and my nose was physically bruised and round my cheeks from just wearing a mask and wearing it so tight. And we were, everybody was petrified. We had no idea what we were dealing with. Um, and so the staff were scared too, you know, so wearing our masks, wearing our visors, wearing gowns and nursing ICU patients is challenging at the best of times, as you can understand. But having all these worries on top of it definitely was was tricky. Um, but like I remember, I think it was maybe on the second surge, I can't remember exactly, but we had to move then. So the ICU in Craig Avon um, holds eight, has eight beds so we can take eight patients in there. But obviously the numbers were higher than that. Mm-hmm. So we had to decant or move over to recovery, which was able to hold a lot more. So initially they had just used the, you know, the the small area of recovery. And I was in one night duty and I knew the numbers had increased. But I was into night duty one night and I remember walking into the unit. And this has never happened to me before in my life, working on ICU. The lit, I actually like gasped because I looked down the unit and there was just beds up both sides mm. of the unit loads of staff it was hand over time so there was a lot of people about and all this staff and PPE and it honestly looked like a war hospital it was like a scene and as I say it was the first time in my life that I was actually shocked and it was mm. a shock myself as to how shocked I actually was 
if you know what I mean. Um, mm-hmm. And then I just sort of dealt with it and like, right, get on, you know, and, and nurse the patients. But um, it definitely, like, even the patients coming in were so sick, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's like nothing that we've ever seen before. And as I say, we didn't really know what we we're dealing with, but patients would be in the ward and then they weren't managing on the ward and they had to come down to ICU. And like, I mean, I, I, I admitted a man one day, it was an afternoon shift that I had just been done on duty. And this man came down and he was, he was brought down quickly because he really was struggling. And to say he was petrified was an understatement. And all I could do was hold his hand. There was loads of people about. It was all a bit chaotic because we're, we're having to try and basically save his life at this stage. And he couldn't speak to me because he had a really tight face mask on, give him, in, give him in, um, really high pressured oxygen. And he was just looking at me with these complete fear in his eyes. And mm. all I could do was hold his hand and say, you're going to be okay. You're safe. We know what we're doing. We're going after you. And there's only like... There's, it's it's so hard to know. Is this what I is what I'm saying to this patient the right thing to be saying? You know, mm. just trying to reassure him. And he hadn't seen his family. That was another big issue that probably was one of the main things I struggled with at the very beginning as well. Was of these patients being so sick in ICU, and one of the main um, things for patients and part of the recovery is getting their family in and and letting them speak to their family and they couldn't do that and this man hadn't seen his family he was so sick he was coming to ICU to be put to sleep be put on a ventilator and we're all he has we were his family at that time so all I could do was literally I just held his hand and I spoke to him the whole time and as he was being put off to sleep and he did okay actually which was Mm. which was really really good so yeah, thanks for that, Joe. Uh, I, although I've heard like you, you talk many times about like how you've some of your experiences in ICU, it still rattles me even now when you're when you're like relaying some of those stories. It still rattles me the personal impact that it's had on people and families. But it rattles me too because you're you're uh, like a strong personality, a strong, when it comes to nursing, you certainly are one of those characters. And so whenever I heard that you were shocked, that yeah. I knew it was, it must have been, it must have been bad. Mm-hmm. And just when, just when Joanne's uh, rightfully reflecting on the importance of honouring her, her fellow, her colleagues in the ICU, Lindsay, could you paint a wee bit of a picture, if you can, of what it's, I suppose, what it's been like working within the community, working with patients, working with your staff and, and, and sort of a, a big picture view of what it's been like for you guys in the health center. I suppose she's got the two sides of it. You're seeing it in the thick of things where you are absolutely scourged. It's flying by the seat of your pants. Um, <laughs> and I suppose in the practice, uh, we initially, all practices throughout the UK went into a closed door policy. Uh, well, certainly the GPs did the triage system so that you know, it was only those people that actually needed face-to-face physical exam would come in. Mm-hmm. I don't know what Market Hill did with their practice nursing, but there's a, there's a lot of patients still need to be seen. You know, whether you don't want to open your doors or not, a lot of those patients need their bloods monitored, they need things checked. And, you know, that is going to be, unfortunately, the, the long problems with COVID, all the patients yeah. that we've missed and we haven't been checking. But 
just like Joanne was saying, there, even though we are in a more controlled environment in the practice and that you're there only nine to five or whatever and off your weekends, there still was a fear element. Mm-hmm. You still do have, and especially in those early days when we didn't know exactly what the real symptoms were and you, you are up close and personal with patients and we didn't have the red PPE on. We had a mask and an apron. And to be fair, I don't know what on earth an apron's really going to do to you. <laughs> it's a plastic sheet. But uh, so there, there was an element. Everybody was, you, and even now you still do have in the back of your head, you're continually speaking to patients up close and personal and you could have COVID. You're probably going to give me COVID. Am I going to give you COVID? Mm-hmm. Um but on the other hand, you're working in a very tight knit team. And just as Joanna said about you become family for your patients. So I, from what I felt in, in Rich Hill Health Centre anyway, was you definitely became much more of a family this year. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was nice. I, I feel it was a, a blessing and a privilege to go to work every day. Unlike a lot of people who have had to work from home, I, I couldn't have done it. And mm. I suppose for me, it's been a saving grace to go down there. But you definitely, I definitely feel we've all got a lot tighter and respected each other a lot more. And and I, I do think that the whole system has become more streamlined. I know a lot of patients probably disagree with the triage system and telephone system. But for us, we are getting through a lot more patients and able to filter out the things that, that don't we don't need to put people at risk coming in. And just those people that really need seen will be seen. And from a personal point of view, I think that works a lot better and it's yeah. a lot safer. So, well, that's so powerful that idea of you've become more like a family. It's like, just love the idea of that. And I suppose on that, Lindsay, like I imagine that's really important at the minute with some of the, well, I imagine, I, I'm assuming this, you can speak to this, um, when it comes to the fears that some people will have over taking the vaccine. Yeah. Like, so yeah. imagine that, like, becoming family, becoming like somebody that you are, that they are trusting with all their fears and all their risks. I know we had, we had all our fears at the beginning, but it's now like it's a different type of fear. It's with different. The, yeah, it is. And um, because of media, social media is, is yeah. wonderful when it needs to be, it was an absolute nightmare whenever it wants to be. Um, and funny, away in the initial lockdown, that was one of the things I said. I, I never really was that, I suppose not that proud of my profession. I never really thought of it like that. I just thought it was it was my job and my vocation. Mm-hmm. But I remember one of the nights standing out clapping for the NHS, you know, one mm-hmm. back in the Thursday nights. And I remember thinking, wow, you know, you're in such a privileged position. You know, people are out there most vulnerable. And like you were saying, Joanne, you don't have their families there. You are the only hand they're going to hold. And you really are. They will take your word for it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I suppose, as you say, Neil, about the vaccine, they are coming in with these strange ideas and everyone is entitled to their opinion. And yeah. and I can't, we can't tell patients to do it, but you it's our only way out from our medical point of view. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, there was one patient I was speaking to only just yesterday and they said, oh, but do you think I'm fit for it, Lindsay? Being in hospital and whatnot. And I said, well, I think that you're definitely not fit to get COVID. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think that if you got the vaccine and yes, you have the side effects and you're in bed for 48 hours and you have headaches, do you know what? You're going to get over that. Mm-hmm. If you get COVID, I can't stand over that. 
you know, mm-hmm. I really can't stand over that. So, mm-hmm. and I think in our own families, you can say whatever you like to each other, but whenever somebody who maybe does have a bit of clout about what they're talking about when they say that, it is just that we reassurance. So, mm-hmm. I do. I just imagine. I'm imagining the challenge of that between. Because now is not the time to spread conspiracy theories, but it's also probably not the time to force your no. opinions on others either. So, like, I just imagine that tricky balance that that you both must be must be facing. But sometimes, you... in that note, Nate, sorry, I'm interrupting. No, no, what no, I yeah. would say, what I would say, sometimes to patients is like, you trust the GP when you want your blood pressure sorted, or when you want your diabetes sorted, you trust the GP to sort that out and so we have to put our trust in the experts the immunologists who have Mm -hmm. created these vaccines have went to university and got degrees and doing all this and we have to put our trust in them they don't want this farce as much Mm -hmm. as anybody else does and they want us to get over this and so we have to put our trust in them too very good that's really helpful because i I was just reflecting that this afternoon just how like how unhelpful it is when we call into question the, the the ethics or the intentions of bodies like the WHO without any without any evidence at all, and it's just it's just really unhelpful to do that. But but what you've spoke to there, Joe, is um is is really good, really important. Um, I know you've touched on it a wee bit, Joe, but I just just because you both both brought out the theme of families here, which I'm like. I'm just I'm so struck by it. I'm really grateful for what you're sharing. Um, but if you can, obviously you're not going to break any confidentiality. But just remind us again how hard it has been for families. So, like I know you've talked about the the difficulty, and thankfully that one guy, one guy made it. But mm-hmm. like the challenge of like a lot to communicate with an iPad, and yeah. and then what it's been like after that. Yeah. For those um, who haven't made it. It. As I say, from the very beginning, that was probably one of the biggest things I struggled with. And I remember coming home here one night after a shift and the ladies being um, where we were making on Zoom, you know, to pray. And I I literally cried because I Mm. thought these patients are lying in ICU and their families can't get in to see them. And it is just you can imagine having your relative in ICU at the best of times, but not being able to get in and see them Mm. and hold their hand and talk to them was just something that I had never dealt with. And so I, I really did mm. struggle with it. Um, we did try then to facilitate and the, and the, the, the hospital were very good at, at it. They were able to purchase iPads. So we were able to use an app and set it up that the family were able to phone in or we were able to phone the family. But even doing that, of holding an iPad up to a patient and letting the family speak to the patient. Mm. Um, and sometimes, sometimes it was positive and, and other times it was really tough really really tough um i can't even begin to describe basically what it was like but to hear i'm being raw here like to hear families sobbing literally mm-hmm. sobbing or they're on the other end of the phone mm-hmm. because their relative was like this and they couldn't get in to see them and um that in itself is just unreal mm-hmm. um and even for those patients then who we're coming to the end of life. Now, it did change as, as the surges went on um, because initially they weren't allowed any visitors. And then in the next time they were maybe allowed, it depended on the consultant decision and stuff, if they were allowed a visitor for if it came to the end of life. Um, and 
that in itself was just it's, re- it's really hard to describe it yeah. really is yeah. but it was just it really was challenging and for those families my heart absolutely broke for them because yeah. I couldn't I couldn't even begin to imagine what it would be like having your mommy or your daddy or your sister or your brother and them coming to the end of life and not being able to be there with them but we reassured families all we could do was reassure them they are never on their own we are there holding their hands and we did a we did a wee initiative where we um a relative um knitted we like love hearts literally about the size of your palm um and we give if when it came when that patient passed away we, we left a wee heart with the patient and another one we give to the family and um, with their belongings so it felt like they had some sort of some sort of connection yeah. um but yeah we just we were their family in that time and we did what we could to to help yeah honestly really powerful because like we'd all have our ideas and our opinions but communicating here tonight with people that clearly have been moved and affected by it is something entirely different and i just listened to hearing Lindsay say that she just thought this was a normal job that she went in and did her practice nurse but now you're like you're thrust into doing things that you've never had to do before just what you're saying joe like you've mm-hmm. never dealt with some of the things that you've had to deal with and yes. and then um, and so i think it's really important for us to, to to point that out as well um we'll take another few minutes here i think i've asked this question to you as both um but is there, is there anything around the misinformation that, that you have found that is making things difficult? Or is there any particular misinformation that you think that is making things particularly difficult for you in the roles that you're in? I don't know, John, about you, but uh, at, at the minute, I suppose one of my biggest issues in Rich Hill anyway is we don't get a lot of information until the entire population of the UK has the information. So, uh, you know, you've maybe not been in since Friday and you come in on Monday, but it has been advertised everywhere that, you know, this group and this group and this group, they can all now go to the lakes or you can just do the... And then we come in or, or they're told, oh, there's so many vaccines and being delivered to Northern Ireland, you'll be getting your vaccine this week, you'll be flat out. You get in, you're trying to order vaccine, and they go, you're not getting any vaccine for two weeks. And I know John's going to be like me in this. I would work 24 hours a day vaccinating people. I really would like to get it done. Yeah. Because I can't wait till it's done. (laughs) But so it's it's really frustrating. We're only coming in and you're maybe getting an email uh, to say, well, you know, now this group can go here or whatever. And then you're coming up with maybe negative comments maybe from patients as well they're saying why 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 haven't i got mine or why has mrs such and such got hers i'm more at risk than they am and and it's tough mm-hmm. and it's just like what you was saying we've been doing it for a year now and you are tired and you're stressed and you have felt that you're carrying a lot more than you thought you could and then if you get a comment you're not doing it right or you're you know you're not doing it equally and fairly you think I really am trust mm-hmm. me you know we mm-hmm. really are and so I find that tough at the minute yeah. yeah um I probably just find it it's probably more relevant and making it harder it's just frustrating 
it's just yeah. frustrating sometimes that people have these ideas and it's okay to have an opinion about a vaccine don't get me wrong but I struggle then when people try to force their mm-hmm. opinion on other people um, and social media is good for some things but it's like as that guy what is his name Attila that did the podcast a few weeks ago yeah. about social media and the internet it is so unregulated like mm-hmm. somebody can just literally start up a website and put whatever they want on it. Mm-hmm. so people base their opinions about covid and about the vaccine on information that they've heard from somewhere yeah. but i just be wary yeah. of that weary yeah. of that because you don't know where that information yeah. has come from and then i find that frustrating sure. um you know, to me, if you want to know about vaccines and know the right facts about vaccines, go to a reputable, is that the right word? <laughs> reputable well website, like um, like the Oxford Vaccine Knowledge website, fantastic about vaccines and every question that you could think of yeah. um, about the COVID vaccine is on there, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so at times I find it frustrating just when there's misinformation going about and people just want to cling on to that rather than actually finding out the proper yeah, proper facts. Yeah, and, and why I find that really helpful, Joe, is because although we're like, as Paul said at the start, we like we don't know the full ins and outs of everything that's going on, but I do feel a slight responsibility to make sure that at least we're pointing people in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And I think by you, I think that will be a great thing that we would be able to to communicate to people to put in the footnotes that there are like. If we're going to make a strong opinion, let's be well informed. I'm like you, whether it's a vaccine or what it is, if we're going to make a strong opinion, no matter what area of life it is, come in it well informed at least. Because you're, the misinformation that you're spreading is really irresponsible. Yeah. potentially and damaging to people. Da- yeah, it can cause so much damage and danger because it just creates anxiety among people and everybody's anxious enough at the minute with yeah. extra anxiety. Yeah. yeah. Um, just really quickly, Joe, um, could you just comment for a, wee, for a minute or two just on how things are right now in um, From ICU. what I know now, I haven't been in... I wasn't in last weekend because things have really quietened down. Um so I think maybe the numbers are definitely, I don't know exact numbers, but they're in single figures anyway, um, from my from my understanding. Um, that's not, the virus hasn't gone by no means. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to know, are we seeing the benefit, the reduced numbers because of the lockdown or because of the vaccine? I hope it's a combination yeah. of all yeah, those yeah. things. Yeah. Um, but we still need to be really vigilant. Yeah. Lindsay, anything that you think would be really helpful for for people to hear? Well, I think just even on what Joe's saying there, you know, people still need to be vigilant. The amount of, um, whenever we did our first batch of vaccines in our over 80s, you know, the mm. amount of those folks that said, so Lindsay, after these two weeks, I can go can and I see go? the wee one. <laughs> and, and then I, I just go on out to the shops whenever. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> you know, yes, it's but after two weeks, we are same really good immunity and then after the 12 weeks even better and, and that is brilliant and that's mm-hmm. to be celebrated but I think it is that risk where people are saying the numbers are going down I'm vaccinated sure I'll yeah. be okay and yeah. you know that is where you start playing with fire then so I think people and it is different even for me whenever I got both my vaccines there was an element of oh I'm good to go let's yeah. go all this <laughs> you know <laughs> um but you just have to be wise that yeah. and remember 
just to, and, and even as, as Sonny was saying earlier, it is like flu, you know, we, we still, these things, it's not going to go away. It's not going to be away next winter. You know, mm. there is there's yeah. a long term here. So, yeah. 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 So, two, so two final questions. I'll be as uh, personal and as honest as you're willing to be. Um, start with you, Joanne. What, asking is both, what has kept you going through the difficult days? Um. Being honest, it's probably other people. So Neville, my husband, has been fabulous with the kids. You can imagine having three kids and trying to work your permanent job and then doing extra shifts. I wouldn't have been able to do it, only he he was so supportive. I was going um, to say, I can't imagine having three kids, but you lost me <laughs> the rest of it. <laughs> he has been so supportive um, and has encouraged me to, you know, to go in because he knows that that's my calling and that's what I love to do and I love to mm-hmm. care for people and he could see that I th- I was thriving, you know. Um, it's hard to imagine, but I, I did I did enjoy looking after critically ill patients, you know. Um, so he encouraged me in that. Um Probably then family as well. I have three sisters who are all on the front line too. So being able to talk to them afterwards and like debrief is always a really good help. Um, Neil's wife, Judith, was an ICU nurse as well. And so quite often Judith got a phone call just to go through the whole details with her. Um, so things like that. Um, the ladies and, and the church family um, holding me in prayer. Definitely um, we can't fault. And I myself probably really... Um, Love to worship. I remember going in one night to night duty and thinking, what am I going in to face? And I can't remember the song. I was trying to think of this the other day. There was a song came on on Premier Christian Radio. Well, I belted that song at the top of my voice and I thought, this is my anthem for going in tonight to ICU. Um, and it did. It helped. And, and well, would you what... believe it? We have that song now for you to belt out. <laughs> Hit play. <laughs> I can't remember what it was. It was really annoying me because um, I remember taking the link and sending it to Neville and say, I've just belted this out the whole way into, into work. Very so. good. Brilliant. Lindsay? Yeah. Like Joe, you know, as I, as I said earlier, I find work a real blessing. And like mm. you, Joe, I probably did thrive and, you know, I, I did. I feel like I, I stepped up again as well. Uh, but I definitely think Reuben being at home with the wee ones and just even having the wee ones. Mm-hmm. And I kept saying to them the fact that there were wee ones and not a single child. I really I feel for those families who are possibly single parent families or kids who, who have been on their own, and especially that first lockdown where they weren't allowed out. You know, I just think we were really fortunate and took a lot away from that. Uh, and even before earlier on this evening I was thinking Neil what questions is he going to ask <laughs> or is he going to ask what, what's your memory and one of my memories is whenever we did the chalk uh, hopscotch out oh, the front yes. of the house and I, I took so much from that just seeing the, and it was as you say it was the families and we got to see the same families going mm-hmm. around we get an insight into it and you do get an insight that's why I love practice nursing because you get so involved in families' lives. Mm-hmm. And I got a, as we just got so much from that, but definitely, as I said earlier, my work family, I think we've just all knit together as a good wee yeah. team. And you have your bad days. Not every day you love all the bits of your family, but, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> but, it's, but it's good to laugh. You know, as you say, Joe, you have to just take the time to either sing it out or laugh it out or cry it out you or know, cry it out yeah. just 
take it as it comes and don't really, be afraid of it. You really know? good, Lindsay. Yeah. Uh, just on that note, for people that don't know, uh, Lindsay's house is uh, <laughs> on a... On, uh, the route that most people take when they're walking around the village, Everybody, you have to every walk past person. Lindsay's house. <laughs> so the problem is, Lindsay, because it was just such a feature of the first <laughs> lockdown, and now that the, the now that the brighter days have come back, people are assuming that, like our like thinking, the brighter days are coming back. <laughs> is that woman going to do the chalk on the? Uh, on this uh, pavement again. Well, even the kids there saying, "Why, when you when you ban the big block of chalks again? Because I have to do the scotch." Yeah, come on. But yeah, Raven and I took more out of that than the kids. We'll start. A, <laughs> we'll start a wee petition here, uh, and then your Joanne, your hopes for the rest of this year or. Um, well, I think my I think my hope is the same as most Northern Ireland's, and to be back to some sort of normality, um, really soon. Um, which is, as Lindsay says, I would vaccinate all day, every day, <laughs> if I could, to make sure that we can get to that stage. Um, but I think over lockdown and throughout the past year, it has just taught me, like Neil, no, Neville, and I are real social butterflies, and we love. Not running the roads, but we just love socialising and, and <laughs> looking at space, you see. I think it has just taught me that um, we don't need to do that. And I really value the time that I've been able to spend with Neville and the kids just in the house and valuing that. And I hope that continues and I don't get back into the rat race again, you know. Um, and I hope just to continue to do what I feel that my calling is, to care for people, whether that's in the hospital or whether that's in practice nursing um, or my family, or even just people that we have in our home that sit around our table, that we can continue to to care for them in the best way that I can. Brilliant. So. Super. Lindsay? Yeah, just as Joe says, um, I run the roads a lot. <laughs> it's been a big struggle of mine. I I don't do well, and as Neil has seen, obviously you won't pass my house. I have to be decorating because <laughs> there's nothing else to do. Um, but a from we ever bought this house we remember our minister came in here when we moved in and he he prayed and he just said you know i pray this house is used for for people mm. and we've always stuck to that you know that the house would have an open door policy and i have hated the fact that i can't have friends mm -hmm. around and especially after the school run that between that half one and quarter to three you know there was always mummies would have come back here and had a coffee half a packet of custard creams or whatever and I, I miss that and I feel you know that that would be one of the biggest blessings to get the front door open and have people back in the house and yeah. um, so that that would be one of my hopes Fair for enough. this year Brilliant Oh so yours has been so good um, Sorry Lindsay there is one question I didn't prepare you for it's right. about hopes for 2021 but Peter Cardwell's got a hope for 2036 and getting Rich Hill Gates back have you any <laughs> have you <laughs> yes. Do you want to add your two cents worth into that conversation? Yeah, uh, I'm, st I'm still waiting on that one myself. <laughs> and, and that wee letter that my kids got back from the Queen gets gets WhatsApped around quite a lot. Did you know my children got a letter from the Queen? <laughs> oh, brilliant. I didn't know. I was that. thinking Oprah didn't even bring it up in the interview last night. You know, she should have asked Harry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. I didn't know that you had a letter. Did your kids have yeah, a the kids the kids sent a letter back a uh, three and a half years ago to the Queen. They wrote it in their own wee handwriting and, and documented and sent photographs to her, and we got an official wow. official letter back. That so. is true. Everybody we've had on from Rich Hill 
has somehow brought up the gate. <laughs> your that gate story trumps them all. That is pretty impressive. Um, I gotta hand back to Paul, but can I just say again, I have like so so enjoyed this. I've been really, I find myself being moved and like just so grateful for what you've shared. And just this theme of family, I suppose that for me, I know nobody's asking me the question, but like my dream is hearing some of your answers to some of the questions and also hearing your hopes and dreams, that that sense of family and community would be so solidified like never before. Like I'm longing for that. And I think listening to you both has probably increased that over the last 45 minutes or so. So thank you so much for your time and all that you are doing and have done over the last over the last year. Bless you both, Paul. Hand back to you. Thank you so much. Really, that was that was amazing. Thank you so much. Um, and just to kind of wrap things up with you, Sonny. Um, welcome you back into the in the fold here. Um, but just uh, from probably looking into the into the future, what we learn from what we what we've been through um what can we do different that's or what have we been doing well um what could we learn give us a wee bit of hope a wee bit of insight there well paul uh yes what have we learned so we have learned that we can efficiently work from being away from the actual site where we have to be ex- uh, for starter spawn you uh, you have been home since uh, since the beginning of lockdown, but which hasn't really affected the productivity. So there are much more people like you or much more people who can work, be more productive and be away from the actual place of work, so which can efficiently happen. So we have learned that uh, for starters. So the, the impact of that on the environment as well. So lots of fuel being saved. Lots of energy being conserved, uh, so, man, the different multitude of things. So we have learned that uh, we won't actually have a economic impact in people being away from uh, from work and working from place where they feel fit or be more productive. Actually, is one part. Uh, the second part would be uh, well the. Uh, the trust about uh, the medical sciences and uh, how exactly we can uh, develop a particular, uh, take up a particular problem and develop a solution for that in a fast-paced basis. So, and what are the investments required and how supportive can people be towards that end is another thing. So we have, I mean, as I said before, and as I keep repeating, so the virus isn't going away. So we are, we are nowhere close to defeating the whole uh, whole thing. So we still have a lot of R and D and research uh, research programs that we have to look into. So there are lots of other emerging viruses that are coming up as well. So so we have to prepare ourselves for the future as well. So mm-hmm. we have, I mean. Uh, as I said uh, earlier, so by staying away from each other, by protecting the loved ones and uh, by being by ourselves. So we have uh, certainly indicated that the transmission of other viruses and other infections and everything have certainly gone down. So we now have, now know and we have now prepared ourselves for what lies ahead in the future. 
and what exactly is the route that we should take in case we uh, we uh, we come across such a such an instance in the future which i totally hope we don't but uh, being preparedness is one uh, one huge thing we know where uh, the leaks in the whole system lies and we we have already seen how to plug them and we we can uh, now efficiently try find a permanent solution for those leaks and maybe work out more mm-hmm. of course education educating the people educating the masses about uh, the preparedness and how the vaccination programs have worked earlier and how they will work how they will work now and how will they work in future bringing hope to families is certainly a big thing that we have learned in this year and of course everyone has missed uh, traveling out and everyone has missed seeing the loved ones for a long extended period of time especially me as well so this brings a lot of hope, a lot of hope for the future mm-hmm. and we know uh, where we shouldn't be uh, going wrong the next time so it's always a learning curve and a le- learning process so i think yeah. we'll get there paul it's a very hopeful situation that we are in now yeah and i hope the future has much more better days for us Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I think my fear is that we, if, you know, we come out of lockdown, we just sort of snap back into what it was like before without having sort of really kind of, you know, reflected on what we've been through, um, reflected on, on uh, the things we've, we've picked up as in, uh, you know, new practice, like you're saying, sort of working in new ways and maybe appreciating community and friendships and stuff a lot more and um also probably i'm sure you're probably have a better you've been looking into kind of the maybe the impact impact in the environment maybe what we the mistakes we made when it came to how we treat the world that maybe brought us to this point um but yeah um yeah any more any anything else sunny or anything else you can Uh, yeah paul we uh well there are certainly a lot of environmental factors that is contributing as well so we have uh, the global uh, the global warming the current our current uh, view on the healthcare system so how are, how are we contribute I mean um, most of us are more i mean are lucky in a sense uh, that we are in a very developed part of uh, the planet so we we have we also have to look at the economic burden that this virus has caused on the lives of and the livelihoods of lot of other third world countries mm. and smaller countries uh especially uh, some poor poorer countries in asia some countries in south america and africa so how they have all uh, suffered in a larger sense so um, uh and it it also becomes a moral obligation for us so the more the virus stays within ourselves the more it starts to adapt the more variants that it develops the more uh, fight that the virus will put up, put upon us to get uh, and get rid of it from this uh, from the current situation mm-hmm. so we we have done it before we have done it for smallpox we have done it for uh, more, i mean polio which was yeah. which had taken a lot of toll we have done it for measles we have done it for rubella we have we are currently working on men 
there are lots of uh, uh, new scientific developments on tuberculosis on malaria and lots of uh, lots of infections and viruses which have had a, a deep impact on the on the humanity so we have we have defeated uh, such kind of uh, um, enemies before so it's it's always a learning curve on uh, how to get adapted for a newer uh, virus and how to come out from this mm-hmm. so we have seen the economic burden that this virus has caused on the on all aspects of life so we we uh, i th- th- what i would stress is so whatever lessons that we have learned now we keep uh, we keep following this in, in, uh, in, in for a longer term of period and for a longer uh, a period of time so that we protect more and more individuals and we invest more time we give scientists and we give healthcare workers more time to work on these and get back with a um, finer solution on uh these aspects i think that would that is one takeaway uh a take home lesson from mm-hmm. this whole situation that we are facing now yeah well really appreciate what you guys do um all three of you um and just in all those different professions that are all kind of working together for the same this this greater good and um it's just it's wonderful um but we always end we're on a hopeful note i'm glad of that um we always end on uh the same question neil you might want to ask it um and i don't know if you guys have been prepared for it but get ready for this one neil i'm not precious about it paul like you could ask it like uh, joanne should know she's watched it um joe knows what's coming up yeah just, just really quickly i always like to know it's probably just like for self-indulgent reasons but i do like to know what people are watching where you're getting your entertainment from what are you watching reading or listening to that uh what you would recommend to our listeners these are all very busy people by the way so they might not be watching <laughs> no that's what I, I don't know if, i don't know what you are well she must she listens to something no she watches or reads anything it's just time to but I listen, so am I going first then? Go I, listen first, to the, I listen to these podcasts on a Tuesday night. Um, and yes, and I would listen to uh, just to Phil Emerson on a, each weekday morning at half seven. Just listen to his wee daily devotional. That's my listening. And um, watching, oh dear, I'm really embarrassed to say it, but I really do enjoy it. Heartland <laughs> on Netflix. It's a cheesy American um based on a horse ranch type thing but it's just like watching and i do enjoy it and i'm watching the new series bloodlines isn't it bloodlines on bbc one bloodlands bloodlands yeah (laughs) got there eventually thank you Lindsay. i knew what you meant (laughs) thank you that must be something to do with work joe is it never (laughs) what i'd be thinking about bloodlands yes very good sonny what about you anything that you're um well i'm and uh, for the last note i wanted to add there is a lot of information about the viruses on uh, red cross the british red cross society and there is i came across this uh, the, 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 the who also has a variety of information on viruses and okay. i am particularly sure they wouldn't be lying about anything yeah. and i i trust uh, the, the information that they provide the statistics and everything is really good 
the university college london special has a special podcast entirely about the corona virus and information and uh, for educative purposes so they they are bringing across a panel of good re, uh, good scientists i i really do enjoy listening to their podcasts every week as well so they bring in lots of epidemiologists social care workers uh, scientists uh, healthcare professionals everybody and the information that they decimate is very nice and okay. very easy to understand so particularly if i enjoy listening to music certainly yes um and i can i i speak five languages so i have a lot of oh, music wow. to catch up on <laughs> <laughs> so i have lots of music to catch up on which is very limited part of my time for uh, uh, watching i do I yeah I have subscribed for Netflix and Amazon and uh, I was watching Dead to Me last week and I okay. have you guys have anyone of you have uh, watched no. it or something no oh, it, it, I mean should try it it was it was kind of okay <laughs> kind of okay inshallah it was kind of I mean I've seen worse so th- this this was <laughs> this was at least watchable till the second season <laughs> and i have started watching the young offenders uh, uh, from uh, uh, for a couple of uh, seasons now uh, yeah Very good. Um, Super. Uh, trying to keep myself entertained during these uh, unforeseen circumstances yeah. but i'm Super. getting there thanks really benzay yeah up to series 3 or episode 3 of bloodlands but i also i I love murder and crime dramas, so uh, we're watching Mindhunter. I think it's on Netflix as well. Very good. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah it's good. It's good. Yeah, but I sit like this a lot of the time. I think this. <laughs> yes, I'm really loving uh, Jimmy Nesbitt's overacting in in Bloodlands. Yeah, Brilliant, isn't it? Space is a bit grumpy, isn't it? That's that's why I like it. Line of Duty starting this week coming. Yes. Come on. Now you're talking. Can't wait. Can't wait. Something I've never watched. Knockdown can. Line of Duty? Neither have I. Oh, oh. Please have to catch up. Oh, I wish I wish I had five series of Line of Duty to catch up on. So good. Right, before we go into all the we could end up talking here for another hour about Netflix shows. But again, guys, thank you so much for your time tonight, Sunny. Joanne and Lindsay it's been really really good really helpful so um thank you so much and thanks everybody for listening watching whenever wherever you've done that um I will catch you again next time Ordinary people was hosted by Neil Dawson it was produced edited and engineered by Andrew Griffin and Paul Woods head over to ordinarypodcast.com for show notes, links, previous episodes and all the ways you can contact the show. See you next time.